Eternal Dirtles is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast sponsored by Paragon City Games and Bearded Dragon Games. You can support us at patreon.com slash eternal dirtles. Welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Gullia. Nate, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Actually, uh, it's a very special episode this week because we have on a really awesome guest, uh, a fellow Ohioan, uh, and uh, and one of the luminaries in the New York legacy scene, uh, Roland Chang. How's it going? Going all right. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, dude, it's great to have you. It's great to finally have you. Yeah, we've right, we uh, talked about this a couple times, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so we're going to talk about uh, Roland's uh, Legacy Championship from, what, 2007? 2006. 2006. <laughs> Even further you got, back. You got the recall on that? No, that was, that was uh, Vintage Championship, right? Vintage Championship was 2005. 2005. Yeah, he's back-to-back yeah. champion. Um, no, but Roland... more recently, we should talk about last week's uh, uh, Open win in Worcester. Uh, but yeah, uh, SCG Worcester. Uh, tell us Roland, about it, man. Roland took down the uh, <laughs> Sunday Classic in Legacy. I think I saw it was like 180 players, so pretty nice-sized tournament. Uh, and you won the tournament with Grixis Delver, right? So should yeah. we start? You want to start by talking about the tournament or about the deck a little bit? Um, I could talk about uh, the deck a little bit. Actually, no, the tournament a little bit. Just like even going up there on a whim. Um, I think it was Friday when I decided to finally uh, pull the trigger. I just, you know, posted in our, our, our New York group saying, anybody actually want to go to this thing? And yeah. um, fortunately, one brave soul wanted to do it, like, you know, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning and uh, head up there with me. So I was willing to drive up there since I didn't have anything planned for Sunday. And um, Phil, Phil Wen and I went up there. And, uh, yeah, it was it was, it was kind of crazy. It was super cold out, but it was good to be indoors all day and uh, finally get to, you know, play some, uh, play a larger event in uh, the kind of the dead of winter right now. Yeah, so. Right. So you got up at 5 a.m. and then played, let's see, let's count, uh, <laughs> eight rounds plus three in top eight, so 11 rounds of magic. So, you know, that's like a, that's a pretty good sized day, right? 16, 17 hours. And then you get to drive oh. home. <laughs> I, I got I cut a I got a couple breaks and um, including round one and it was I think I was paired up with um, a named player Tannen Grace and I think I've seen his name a few times on SCG uh, homepage but it he apparently already registered and got the participation so uh, but it was with like sixty fours so he just told me that I had the win and oh, that right. was kind of a surprise so I stood around for another 60 minutes like uh doing nothing <laughs> but we got there in time 64 is actually a good meta call against your uh stifle wasteland deck so he should have played it out right probably would have yeah. done something yeah. um uh, so you played grixis delver we'll talk about the list in a minute um i i've got i'm gonna just uh try and lead you through this a little bit just uh you know for the sake of giving you a breather, an opportunity to think. Um, so we've got a tournament report from you. Oh, so 178 players. So there we go. So you did all the work for us. Thank you. <laughs> so your round two is against Food Chain, which is an interesting matchup, I think, because it's a really, you know, tempo matters a lot because you really are, it's sort of a race because they can kind yeah. of kill you out of nowhere. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I couldn't figure out what he was on until, um, <clears throat> I think in in game one he cast what's that uh blue spell manipulate that, fate uh, yeah manipulate fate and he like took out one of those old um colorless creatures and then a couple of i think those are griffins yeah or yeah mist and i'm like mist hollow griffin so from there um 
he didn't really do too much else in game one. So I was able to just uh, go on to game two, but I knew I, I was going to be in trouble if I can kind of take apart his combo or counter the right stuff. And he would be able to what, well, infinite walking ballista on me in game two. So, yeah. Well, even something uh, like, even something like, you know, just having all the missed holographins in play. Yeah can really mess with you. <laughs> it's a real tough it's a real tough matchup because if they can just start casting Miss Hollow Griffin, uh you can be in a situation where you just like they have too many guys. You know, they they can block your delvers and then they can go and do their their thing in in, in any number of ways. Yep. And uh fortunately I, I I didn't run into too much trouble in game 3. It was more um I'm trying to pull up my report again, but <laughs> you had a true name nemesis and three lightning bolts. Yeah, so that's that's enough. That's <laughs> That'll easy. do that's, it. That that's a thing. You're, you're you're get them out before they can get to food chain, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Made it so much easier for me. And uh, yeah, it was, I was I kind of calculated three turns ahead of time that I was going to be able to you know just swing in with uh, true name nemesis and then add on tack on three damage each turn with one of my uh, uh, volcanics out there ready to just bolt and end a turn yeah and that was that great so you're two and oh going to round three versus grixis control uh i sat down for this one it was so for the last what two rounds there um didn't i was sitting right next to bryant cook it's one of the uh, upstate new yorkers that uh, i've known for quite some time now since my uh old vintage and uh, legacy days that before I took like a, a six year hiatus and yeah, it was good to see him, but he's like, all right, take down this guy. I don't even know who it was at the time, but um, Lucas Wade, totally stand up uh, opponent. And uh, I figured he'd probably be on some good control deck. Um, mm-hmm. And I was right. He was on Grixis control, which is a, one of those mm-hmm. tougher matchups for Grixis Delver. It'll just, you know, midway through the, through each of the games, he'll probably just be able to stabilize and then get all these two for ones on me, Snapster, or even like Coligan's command me, him to Turok me. It's like a slew of all these different types of two for ones and value cards that could bury me. So yeah. I was ready for one of those, you know, type matches. And um, that's exactly what we had. Uh, it says first two games were very tight, leaving 12 minutes in the round. On the play in game three, Mana screwed him by a Wasteland and Stifle. So yeah, that is the way to win, right? You you just can't kind of <laughs> like, it, it's it's a it's a mana hungry that they're gonna sit around and cantrip a lot in the early turns, and as long as one of those cantrips isn't a baleful strix, you can kind of, you know, get through and sort of delay the them getting to you know Liliana or Jace mana, right? Right, and it did help me in this matchup. I did record that I was on the play. So by the time game three came around, uh, Stifle was live. Um, yeah, yeah. It was ready to kind of mess with him. I could just land an early Delver, you know, protect it with days and have the wasteland. And uh, I, I think it was just uh, Stifle for his, uh, for his next land, which kind of sealed the deal. Yeah. So I think he was he sat there for at least another turn or two, um, doing absolutely nothing. Stifle's super huge in this matchup because it can be, it, you know, it, it can work as, as uh, bolts like, you know, four, five, and six uh, sometimes uh, in this deck. You, you're you're able to, uh, uh, you know, they play a four-mana Jace. If you don't have the days for it, you can at least stop them from bouncing your Delver or whatnot and be able to get in damage one more time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was, I think there, there was at least one time where, um, I'm not sure if it was in this match, but... I mean, Stifle was live against other decks, including um, ones with Snapcaster. So in this matchup, it did really matter if I did have that opportunity to just Stifle that trigger yeah. for his Snapcaster. I mean, huge. I mean, that's that's as good as a counterspell again for uh, yeah. once Snapcaster is doing its thing. Exactly. For real. Round four versus Maverick. Yeah. This did not go your way. <laughs> This is one I, I definitely would like to forget, um, but you know, this opponent—he was really ready to just tear me apart. I could, you know, I could sense it after he like dropped a basic forest and then passed. Oh. <laughs> I figured, I thought I was against elves, but you know, this is um, sure enough. 
by I think turn two or turn three of the uh, of the game one, I, I knew that I was paired up against some kind of Knight of Reliquary in deck, and um, yeah, he he tore me apart. Either wastelanding my stuff and like taking apart my mana base, or um, even in game two, he um, I was waiting around to stifle his um, stifle his third land if it were going to be a fetch because we were kind of going into this uh, draw go phase, and he, I, I kind of tapped out with a, a young pyromancer, um, pondering, trying to find the next land so I could um, get to my fourth land and stifle his third land. Um, what it, it didn't come, so uh, he he chucked me up. And uh, right after that was two Knight of the Royal Aquarius, which sealed the deal. Couldn't really do anything, and it only took about half an hour for that beating. Uh, this player, Austin Widmer, made seventh place with Maverick. Congratulations to him. Uh, his deck is cool. He's got a Renegade Rallier. He's got a Thalia Heretic Cathar. And in the sideboard, one Sigarda Host of Herons. I love it. Got a Gaia's Cradle to get that Sigarda into play. Because, you know, everyone scoops a Sigarda. They pick it up. They read it. They hand it back to you. They look at their hand. They pick it up again. And they can see. <laughs> That's how Sigarda works. <laughs> Realize they can't get rid of it. And they're going to just take five in the air. Um, great. Uh, round five versus elves. Uh, this is a two-zero win, which I think is really nice for you. This is a nice, a nice win to get because elves I find to be a really hard matchup for these kinds of decks. Yeah. Um. The first, uh, this was one of the first two elves matchups that I had during the day, and um, I just really found uh, found it comfortable to be able to pick it apart. Um, I know that Dismember was one of the removal spells that I had. Uh, ready to uh, take down one of his elves that he uh, results early and um, just using lightning bolts to, uh, and it, it helps to understand the elf combo and mm -hmm. not panic, but also not make the, <laughs> the mistake of trying to destroy things that are going to be bounced back to his hand mm -hmm. by, you know, wasting a forest when he has, uh, I don't know which one. Yeah. yeah Clarion Druid mm -hmm. or just like when there's an insect out there, um, like bouncing the elf, like don't go go after the elf, go after the insect. So, um, yeah, I I didn't really have to second guess a, a lot of my uh, decisions there in in terms of like picking out what to target. But there's there's plenty of traps that you know elf elf player can definitely uh, capitalize on. And if you're not careful, they can just resolve in natural order, which he had two in his hand, I believe, in game two. I'm interested in, in uh, which we kind of we should talk about the deck first now, but I'm interested in, in how you sideboarded for this. With with elves, I sometimes will say, like, I'm going to take out anything on the ground, right? I mean, you've got two true name for Delver. You're probably the control deck, right? So you're bringing in, like, you've got electricity. Electricity. Electricery and engineered explosives seems pretty obvious. GTA, mm -hmm. Marsh Casualty. So you're pretty well set up to just kind of, you know, not be on the plan of, I'm going to play this young pyromancer. And, and tap out on two and then let them do whatever they want. And instead you kind of just sit back, pick off their stuff. They get hellbent, and you land a threat that flies or just walks right by everything they have while they're, while they're unable to rebuild. Is that, is that your plan? Uh, I, I think I do take out a fair amount of slower threats. So let's say, you know, a true name nemesis or something, um, or even just being on the draw and taking out my, my dazes, my stifles, if I need yeah. to. Um, and I think there might have been one more. Nope. You've got a nice sideboard for this matchup, though, too. i got Engineer Explosives, Extra Braid, Coligon's Command, GTA, Marsh Casualties. That's that's really good. Exactly. Uh, Electricery. <laughs> you weren't going to yeah. lose these go-wide decks. All, all those board clears were perfect for... Um, getting that done and um you know having a gta equipped to a delver that will fly overhead and then just start picking apart yeah um that i think i did do that in one of the games so it was it worked out to my advantage that you know i did have a very strong sideboard that i think even just taking out um seven of the cards and then putting in seven creature removal cards outside of diabolic edict and i was set Okay, uh, round six is Sneak and Show. I just want to uh, also just mention that your, your Grixis Control opponent, Luke, Lucas Wade, also made top 16. So anyway, oh, cool. um, don't want to leave anyone out 
or recognize, not recognize the people. So round six is sneak and show. Um, I mean, usually <laughs> this is pretty easy. Right? Don't let them resolve show and tell. <laughs> Don't let them have a show and tell. Yeah, you, you can't really let them resolve show and tell <laughs> or like sneak attack. So um, I think in these games, it would, um, a lot of the times that's where opponents think in days the entire time. So uh, keeping that one blue mana up, well, uh-huh. um, they'll have to respect the, the sculpt. They have the time, like especially with something as costly, four mana casting cost of who can show or a sneak attack is going to like run in directly into that uh, spell pierce. So um, fortunately, none of those really did resolve on me for this matchup. And um, yeah, I, I snuck through, and um, I think it was in game two where. San Briscoe, it was, um, I think we went to a top deck mode after a counter war, and I was left with, I think I, I dazed up one of my volcanics, so he knew that if I, even if I ripped a force, I would not be able to uh, counter his uh, show and tell that was going to come down the, the following turn. Mm-hmm. And I sure enough just picked up a daze right off the, and I think that was really like the luckiest moment <laughs> of my tournament, and uh, he totally went on tilt right after that <laughs> it, yeah. it, it was just such a rip that i, I don't know I, I usually don't um try to rely right off that that top deck but i really needed it at that point right um and then again you play against another show and tell deck in round seven um this is the omni tell variant yeah um cory abrams had an a, a really nice configuration for his blue-black Omnitel. I think there was a splash for red, too. But okay. this one, um, it, it was very creative, and um, he included a, a card called Thought Erasure from uh, from Guilds. Yeah. And Ooh. Yeah, the, the uh, Surveil card. Exactly. Uh, I had to read that a couple times. <laughs> I, had I gotta read it right now. Card yet. Yeah, yeah uh, from what I understand, it's Thought Seize without mm-hmm. the damage, and you... Uh, surveil one a two mana thought sees that surveils one that's cool mm-hmm. and also more importantly uh pitches to force which i yes. found in one of the games so <laughs> uh, he he had that as well as uh Lindell's vault and um i think it was i mean both had different purposes in the deck but it's just that two slot that seems to be his uh his sweet spot for um setting up his deck and uh, yeah, we, we went back and forth uh, in game one, but he ultimately picked up one. And uh, it was it was pretty quick, like I'd say like seven or eight minutes before um, the judges pulled us, or Stout pulled us to pause. And after we were done sideboarding, they did a, you know, performed the deck check on us and was like, gave us a 12 minute extension before we were able to uh, keep on going. So. I like that break because I really needed that after trying to figure out what he was playing. And, um, I wasn't, I don't think, I think I lost to an, uh, an Emrakul at that point. And it, it was kind of rough and I wasn't really sure, uh, what to expect for games two and three. So I just went with heavy counter package as much as possible and also surgicals. Yeah. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Counter magic was up in game two. Um, I think, just being on the play, uh, it, it really helped me push through that push through that game. But it was game three where I had a pretty weird play that I, I think made might have been a little too aggressive with Surgical, but I saw the opportunity as soon as he uh, went turn one on his play fetch, um, and then uh, passed the turn. I, I played my fetch land, and then I pass it back. And he said at the end of my turn he was going to do a brainstorm. So that was where the opportunity came up. I'm like, all right, well, he's going to be tapping out for that brainstorm. So that's an opportunity for me to have my mana up just in case I needed to counter something, but also resolve my surgical on his brainstorm after his brain. And I mean, that might've screwed up his mana base too, or even like combo piece. And it turned out that when I surgicaled, he also had another brainstorm still trapped in his hand oh, and Ember yeah. Two Emrakuls right on top of his library. Yep, that's how you get them. Yeah, that's how you get that deck is is they set this, themselves up and you shuffle their deck after a brainstorm. 
it, it'll do it every time. You didn't even need to get rid of the brainstorm. Just just shuffling his deck after he set himself up. That that did it. Well done. Well, what's interesting too about that, Roland, is like I've actually been playing Cabal Therapy a lot, and without Cataxium Probe, Surgical is one of the best ways to get information on their hand. Mm-hmm. And I've been very aggressive with Surgical recently, just because like hey, I've got Cabal Therapy. Let me just see what they've got, you know. And you know maybe I get the bonus of of whacking another card if it's in their hand, right? So yeah. you know I just find uh, you know being aggressive with Surgical in the absence of having something like a taxing probe just be the the information asymmetry. You know you can get that to work to you to your advantage if you don't get the extra card out of it. So yeah, I don't think that's aggressive at all. I mean, I mean some people might think that's aggressive, but I'm saying that I think that's a good play. You know, you, you want to know what they're playing with with this in this kind of matchup, so that you know how to sequence, you know, your next few turns. Like, right. yeah. And like, the it's thing not, is, if you're dead, you're dead. You know, it's not like <laughs> not surgicaling was going to make you less dead. You know, the, especially yeah. in show and tell, like the, the two life doesn't matter. Life, the card yeah, doesn't matter. Whatever. Yeah. Like they, they show and tell that surgical extraction, you know, it might as well just be like a Hot Wheels, like in your hand, like it doesn't have to be anything. So For good sure. use. Uh, he had, I think after... When I looked into his hand with surgical, it was show and tell, uh, TE. I'm not sure what that one stood for. Um, oh, thought erasure. Thought erasure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. The brainstorm, which I got, and then omniscience, and the polluted delta, and I think he had a C as well. So um, that uh, that basically sealed that up because of just messing around with. I mean, he could resolve the show and tell, but um, not having uh, any combo piece with it to go alongside it and not having a, a really solid uh, cantrip to follow up as well. That really just screwed him up. So um, pulled that one off. And I think he did actually uh, hesitate to cast um, the omniscience to um, get like an Ember in play because he, I, I think my, one of my Delvers flipped over and it flipped over like a Diabolic Edict. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, signaling that he had to wait. Um, and not just to simply resolve that omniscience. Or so, so you get them, it's round eight, you ID, and you get in. <laughs> Hold on, I'm just seeing this thing about Ronald Chang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, okay, a little, let's back up for a second. Um, I wasn't even supposed to ID. I looked at the tiebreakers incom- like fully wrong, and I thought that, you know, my opponent offering me to ID right away was a good thing. And um, I, I checked the tiebreakers and thought, you know, all right, I'm, I'm tired. I can, I don't really didn't really care if I like ended up ninth. Uh, I was just kind of wanted to go home and celebrate that. All right. Well, had a really strong day and um, it turned out as soon as I ID'd, then the table four right behind us also ID'd and they ID'd themselves out of the tournament. Yeah, that happens sometimes. Yeah, which <laughs> was unfortunate, but um, uh, one of the guys that uh, was An- Anderson Boone, who's, uh, who was my round eight opponent, so his his buddy was the one like the two seed in round seven and lost and became the seventh seed. So he's he was telling me that he was a little tilted and just kind of wanted to draw in, um, didn't really care, and uh, that's what happened. But yeah, they they went down the the list of all the top eight competitors and they got to my name and it's one of my biggest pet peeves, but you know, I get it. You can add an E to, to my last name. Call me Mr. <laughs> Mr. Change. <laughs> Roland change. There's a guy, there's a guy who I, t- who I talked to in professionally at work. His name is Roland Chan. And every time he emails me, I think it's you. And I forget which like account I'm looking at. Like, I'm like, is this home? Am I on Facebook? What's going on? Talk about magic. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, dude, what's up? And it's like, hey, we're talking about insurance. Um, <laughs> yeah, they so, called Ronald. So I was like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> you got a lot of you got a lot of those variant issues, you know, with a name like that. Like, like, sure, like, give me my money. <laughs> <laughs> um, Make sure you write the check out to the right person. You're right. Yeah. Uh, quarterfinals is Elves. Again, and this is another 2-0 win. I'm, I'm, you know, really impressed with your plan here against Elves. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like kind of uh, the yeah. same kind of matchup here. But, you know, just say that you played against it again, 2-0'd it again, so your, your plan was very strong. 
yeah, Eric Meadow was, you know, he was very confident with his deck. I knew that uh, he seemed to, well, we, we talked about um, our collections, you know, suffering setbacks and having uh, years and years ago, I think 2006 is when I, I lost a good chunk of my collection through theft. And I think he was telling me that in 2015 is when he suffered um, a, a pretty massive theft of his own. And, um, so it was, it was something to kind of commiserate and also understand that, you know, the, the community is number one and, uh, you know, totally always there for you. Um, if you're willing to, you know, contribute and also just, uh, be a positive force for your community. And I, I love talking to Eric about, you know, how he came back to the game even stronger and, um, you know, seeing him in the top eight and just being able to have that. Um, nice, pleasant conversation right before we were about to, you know, tear each other's heads off. It was, <laughs> right. it was cool. But, you know, he was on the he was on the play. He was the first seed, and I was the eighth seed. So I figured, you know, well, I don't even know what he's on. And uh, we just went off on it. And I think he led with uh, a couple of those, was it F3 Elves, two green? Heritage Druid. Heritage. That's Heritage the most busted Druid. card in Elves, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I got a trouble. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so that one, um, he got he got a couple of those out there, and I was able to like kill one, um, and leaving him with like only two dudes, and um, and I I was able to counter the glimpse of nature to make sure that he wasn't able to start chaining off stuff and make that out of control. I do remember taking some beats to the face before um, I was able to contain him, but um, so I got down to nine life before I really just uh, swung overhead. And I think there was a true name nemesis that kind of also anchored me. So That helps. Yeah. But game two was when all the hate came back in. And uh, I think he really he tried to <clears throat> get a quick Sylvan Library on me, didn't get that. And also Green Sun Zenith also met another Spell Pierce. So um, it, I mean, he really wasn't left much. Being able to trade those spell pierces for stuff early is just so good. It's because it, you know it's non-creature is only like what you know twelve spells in their whole deck. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but you they're know they're important. so important. You got to keep oh, the pierces super important. In. Yeah. Even if you just tap them out on a, on a glimpse with the spell pierce, it's as good as countering it. You know, so um, so you got to keep them in. But you know, getting a, being able to hit a Sylvan Library and a Zenith is just so great. So, good job. Um, and then semifinals is another sneak and show deck. Um, yeah, it looks like he had one of those sneak and show hands in game two. Ancient Tomb of Defense Grid, turn two, show and tell, Omniscience Emrakul. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you win games one and three, but you know that's the that's the way they can get you, right? That second game. Yeah, uh, I, I even had the. Diabolic Edict in hand with mana up, and he just cast Omniscience into that Emrakul, and then followed by another Emrakul. And uh, yeah, that that was actually just nice to have have to go back into the play because <laughs> I didn't really want to stare down any more Emrakuls. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, and then the finals. You played you played it out. Uh, no. I so Anderson Boone. But the guy that I drew in with uh, at the the eighth round of Swift, so same same buddy that wanted you know that got tilted from um, his round seven loss and drew out of uh, the tournament, actually wanted to just go, and yeah. I, that was his ride. I I kind of um I kind of knew a little bit that like uh, Anderson probably had to go, and fortunately to me, like I was like all right I'll. I'll take the win if I have to, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, do a, a quick split. But um, I was willing to uh, stick around and play. I just, I think that his buddy just really uh, was the driver of the car. And uh, I was unfortunate that um, Anderson had to um, just basically split and go. Yeah. Well, you know, you beat Grix's control earlier in the night. So uh, we could just chalk it <laughs> up as a real win, right? Yeah. <laughs> True. True. Yeah, I mean, still, uh, you know, you can you can say what you want, but I mean, ten ten rounds of magic, nine of them you play you played through, uh, you know, one. and and you won the you won the tournament. Oh, there you go. Yep. Yeah. 
That's uh, it's it's impressive. It, it's it, it honestly it couldn't happen to a better person either. <laughs> I uh, I definitely appreciated the support from the sidelines. I had uh, I think Bryant took giving me you know a shoulder rub. I think it was round three. I was like, I didn't really need it, but it was cool. It was Still made, made cool, my game too. <laughs> it's cool, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Phil, when my, uh, my one of our uh, New York buddies here, he was. I mean, he didn't really have anywhere else to go. I was his driver, so. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> he was he was ha- having fun throughout the day. Um, I think this was his first uh, major event coming back, or, or actually major event in Legacy. Uh, maybe his first one. I'm not sure since like New Jersey, but oh wow, he had a, he had a blast and was excited to get some more reps with his Griffin's deck. Um, shout out to his Griffin's deck, which is some crazy innovation of his. Um, and like he, literal he Griffin's, it's not food chain. It's like yeah, literally a Griffin it's, deck. It's literal Griffin's deck that um, uses uh, what Please is say it? Griffin, Griffin guy. Canyon. Wait, you just what? Griffin Canyon printed in visions. Oh god, oh, that's yeah. like it makes it makes like Griffin tokens or something, doesn't it? Like nah, Griffin Canyon lets you untap target Griffin and it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Wow. So you get a guy that can also pump up and when he taps. So then you're constantly <gasps> making infinite, infinite griffins, but they're not even flying griffins. So it's <laughs> very <laughs> difficult to get through at times. I, I think he he will break through with that deck eventually. And uh, I think um, it, it's a very innovative look at, you know, trying to uh, establish another combo type of uh, aggressive variant out that's, in Legacy. That's amazing that that's, a, that that's a thing even. That's that's crazy. Griffins. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Phil was there on the sidelines, you know, cheering me on and also – um, yeah, it was, it was great to have them, him supporting me too. Um, and someone to talk to in between rounds. I, I think, I don't really know the, uh, New England crowd as well, but, you know, I hope to definitely meet some more of them. I think I've been kind of just rooted in the, the New York scene for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, I'm still trying to figure out which, which Griffin you're talking about. There's a Griffin Lord. <laughs> there um, is a Griffin oh, Lord. It's, it's, it's not even a Griffin that you use to combo with the Griffin Canyon. It's like this blue, uh, blue one, one, I think that, uh, is, I think it's a shapeshifter and then it can untap or something. If it's targeted, maybe it can sure like it untap a land tap to untap yeah. a land. And then you tap that and it untaps it. Keep going like that. I'll have to, we'll have to look it up. Uh, um, I'm on it. <laughs> no, we gotta we, we gotta ask a couple questions about the deck though. Let's 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 get a couple questions about the deck in. Um, well, let's sorry, talk okay, about wanna, Stifle. Wanna How good was Stifle this weekend? Because Stifle's been on the on the downtick for a while. Uh, Stifle, it played its part. I wouldn't say it was overwhelmingly amazing or anything, but I think it comes down to you know playing that card the way I know how to play it and. Uh, it has its surprise element being only just a two of in the deck. It could even potentially be a, just a one of, but what I found at the number two uh, count was when it came to sideboarding, it opened up spots that it made it uh, actually a lot easier for me to um, take out a couple cards and insert in place of stifle. Mm-hmm. And this is where all of those mental games come into play too. It's like, um, it's the same thing with days, right? Days, yeah. Days, um, days, and stifle are like that. Your opponent, your opponent sees them once and then decides to play around them for the entire game, netting you turns after turns. Exactly. So maybe it's because of these larger events. You know, people don't know that um, I do play with stifle from time to time. Um, like they'll run right into it, or they'll keep a couple fetches up, um, maybe you know suspecting it, but um, I won't always have it. So it's. Uh, going into games two or three, I mean, depending if I'm on the play or not, I, mean, I think that, you know, it makes sense to have it on the play for the most part. And then if I'm really trying to go after um, land destruction, it, um, th- those wastelands become even more powerful with uh, paired up with Stifle. Did you get to snap Stifle anybody with the one Snapcaster Mage? Uh, no. Uh, oh, snap that, is... <laughs> <laughs> that was That would have been awesome. 
but it did not happen. Um, yeah. Snapcatcher was amazing, though, for um, getting back Lightning Bolt. Probably yeah. uh, four out of the five times that it was used. Uh, the the other time was getting a, I think, a Pyroblast or a, um, what was it, Colgan's Command. So Ooh, just wow, have late game. Extras. <laughs> yeah, late games. Um, I think it was in maybe in the Grixis Control matchup versus Lucas, but it, I, I don't know if that one actually mattered after that. That was one of our really long, drawn-out games that left us with like barely any time left. You went with some interesting splits. Two Spell Pierce, two Preordained, two Stifle, two Thoughtseize. I mean, it's interesting because I don't want to say they're all situational, but they're all like you could have gone with, could have picked two and gone with four of them. You could have picked three and gone three, 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 and maybe you have the main deck of braid as well. Um, it, but it seems like you really just valued the flexibility and even the snapcaster made to effectively make third copies of all those two ofs and second copies of the main deck of braid and dismember. You know, it's just an interest. It's an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think it was Saturday night that I finally decided to remove. Um, a couple spots that that opened up for um, actually no three spots that that I changed. I, I think I was in deep thought and um, just in the tank, thinking like what what else could I do instead of like a basic island and maybe the fourth uh, young pyromancer. I think there was one other slot in there too um, yeah. that I didn't really love, and that fourth young pyromancer i believe became the snapcaster just for more utility and i hated seeing um multiples of young pyromancer just felt clunky but that two spot was getting a little bit more um i think it was yeah it was definitely getting a little bit more um crowded there but i I found that stifle really did need to be back in the deck um two preordains that number was uh I think I've been shaving it down. I played three at Eternal Weekends, and I did feel that it was too uh, cantrip heavy, and where I was trying to dig for uh, dig for threats, where instead um, I already could just have it in in my hands. And then right. I also did change up um, the thought seizes were not originally in that list, and I made that that change to uh, from the Inquisitors of the Cold Black because I. It felt like there were instances where I really needed to get rid of either a Force, Jace, Grimog Angler, or maybe like a, an Eldrazi. Yeah, um, shuffle it, Emrakul. <laughs> that too. I mean, even catching a sneak attack would would have been like you know fantastic that way. So um, that was those were the definite like good changes for that deck, and I felt like it was the right path. Plus, two spell pierce. I think that's the right number. Even like a third spell pierce might work too, but then you're just going really counter heavy mm-hmm. and you're not going, um, you're, you're not really going in for the kill. You're instead trying to get to the mid game where this deck is, it kind of, unless I can get some kind of card advantage, probably through Snapcaster, um, then um, it doesn't do as quite as well in the mid game. And that's where Grits Troll, um, that's where that deck really succeeds in. So. I will say this, you were blessed by the matchup gods for those Thought Seizes, for sure, because there's there's <laughs> a lot of stuff in here that Thought Seizes is amazing against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah uh, oh, sorry. One consideration that I did have for the sideboard, and I, I didn't end up um, keeping it in there, was that one of Cabal Therapy. And I, I went with Engineered Explosives instead because I felt that there were possibility the possibility of enchantment being out there. And uh, it's just another versatile card. So yeah. while I got to see their hand with Thoughtseize, um, or even Surgical, uh, the Cabal Therapy just ended up not being, you know, one of those cards that seemed strong enough. Ease your only out to a resolved food chain. Um, why the main deck of Braid? So this is borrowed tech from, I think there were a couple of large... Uh, Japanese tournaments recently and I think they were boarding in or they were main boarding Diabolic Edict as well as Braid in place of uh, the Forked Bolt and I liked it because I had run into at least in testing and uh, local events here in New York 
that, you know, turn one chalice really, really hurts this deck a lot. And having the instant speed of braid versus like a firebolt or a forked bolt in that place, it felt like it could do, you know, more damage to creature types. And then um, at least get myself out of that. Um, if it's a Trinosphere or if, even if it's a, a Chalice for one, I'll, I'll be able to, or, or one of those ensnaring bridges, you know, open yeah. up the game again. Yeah, right. You're not just down. dead to those cards, yeah. Right, exactly. So let's talk about, uh, you know, going from here. Let's let's talk about uh, a vintage a little bit. Uh, sure. You, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're you're a known uh, shops player. Wait, no, hold on, hold on a second. Oh, wait, on a go second. on. I meant Phil's question. Oh. The oh, Phil. Couriers. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, <laughs> Phil, Phil has a we have a write-in question from Phil Blackman, everyone. Who could not make it? Um you you were big on Bomac Courier, and I that was as soon as I heard you won, I ran to the to the computer to see if you had the Bomac Couriers, but they they are gone. Yeah, but, I caught I caught a lot of flack for, you know, running that card and it it disappeared from the, the deck list because um I mean, I, I saw a lot of other deck lists out there that were not running it still. And I mean, while I, I loved, you know, being able to, I think it was like 33rd, to take it to a 33rd place at Eternal Weekend, it it did have those dead matchups and those uh, just awkwardness to, yeah. you know, attacking with just a 1-1 and then them potentially having a 1-1 and then a 1-1 in play just to block it. Um, plus I also lost pretty handily at a, a recent New Jersey tournament. I think I went one and four that day and it was just miserable. So I, after that tournament, I decided, all right, I got to rebuild and uh, try to figure out what should be in those places and give those a shot. And I, I think, you know, progressing from Bomat career, I, I had to up the count of young pyromancer to, um, accommodate for that. But. I, I still wanted only a couple of Gurmog Anglers because, I mean, whenever I have that second Gurmog Angler in hand, it just feels really bad, especially since this deck doesn't run uh, Thought Scour. But um, the, the creature base needed to be fixed, and this is how I fixed it. Just added in that Snapcaster and made sure that, you know, I'm probably swinging in the air with the, the Delvers and then finishing with uh, True Name Nemesis. Now let's talk about Vintage Zach. Sorry. Let me tell you something, brother. You're here listening to this Eternal Dirtles podcast, but what you need to do is go over to Eternal Dirtles Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Eternal Dirtles, and show your support, brother. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, yeah. No, no, definitely. <laughs> I mean, we got we had to have Phil get in, get in his licks. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, you're a known shops player, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm assuming that's what you used to take down uh, 2005 with, right? Yeah. Uh, so 2005 was five color stacks, which was a kind of a toolbox deck that was all about prison and finding that um, that last piece to lock down the entire game so that um, hopefully your opponent couldn't sp- cast any more spells, put out any more resources, and... Um, anything that they did land was going to be sacrificed. So you're just, you know, locking them up, throwing away the key, and then swinging with hopefully like a 710 or um, an army created by Karn or a trick. 13 and a half years later, Shops has no colors in it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little disappointing. And um, I've, uh, I think I spent the last uh, two, three years playing a, a colorless version of aggressive shops and um, it, it's a different feel for the metagame that is current right now. And I don't th- think there is much diversity in the shops builds. You really do see a lot more just aggressive Arkbound Ravager shops, which is a very, very powerful deck. Are, what do you think about vintage right now in general? It's interesting because I don't, I've actually started playing vintage more and, you know, at all. But I've been playing more since I've been, you know, playing Magic Online more, and I can play on Magic Online. And I and I love playing like vintagey decks. 
I really love mm-hmm. like the survival deck, and I love paradoxical outcome just because it feels so vintagey. But I can see why people have been playing for a long time are kind of just like all right, it up already with this <laughs> metagame. So sure. I'm kind of I, so, I feel kind of caught in the middle, but I'd like to get your your take on it. Sure. Uh, so I think for some of the you know the the veterans of the format, the, some people like the staleness of it, and then others. Like myself, like, you know, just want to see a little bit more change in it. Um, I've always equated, uh, and maybe this is like, you know, wrongful thinking, but the, the healthiness of the, the format really has aligned with multiple, having multiple versions of shops out there, not just one, you know, unified version that has maybe 70 out of the 75 that are exactly the same. And um, I, I like the variety that, um, you know, previous metagames have had, whereas like you, you had, let's see, aggro shops um, in the form of Ravager, but then you had like Kadolta Forge Master decks, and then you even have a prison side with uh, Terra Nova. And those are like what null rod decks that um, use just man lands to, and, and spears, spear effects to really lock down the game and just swing for the win with those man lands. Um, but I also am starting to play a little bit more modern, and I'm hearing kind of similar things with you know their metagame people some people just think it sucks and <laughs> uh, uh and this is completely brand new to me so I'm, I'm you know pulling them and seeing and trying to hear what they don't like about it you know and yeah. of course like you know kci um something like ancient stirrings uh you know faithful saluting being like too powerful and i i'm, I'm kind of new to it so um I'm interested in like checking out what those cards are or what they do um, from the perspective of Grixis, uh, Grixis shadow. And um, for me, it's, it's a really good um, departure from just like, you know, constantly jamming vintage and also experiencing something that to me is um, one of these one-sided affairs when it comes to, um, you know, playing workshop and then going up against PO and I'm just going to get bounced by Hercules Recall. And that will spell the game for me. But um, yeah, there, there are other known decks inside of Vintage that are very popular right now as well, like the, the Xerox control decks and even the survival deck, Dredge. Uh, but I don't see a ton of diversity just from my perspective. And I mean, being a, a longtime shops pilot, I've, I've experienced the, the being able to pilot you know, paradoxical outcome, or even the mentor or the arc control decks, and um, I mean, one one of those decks that's missing out in the metagame right now is Oath, and you yeah, really Oath don't see so much. Yeah, and that that's another sign to me that you know, if Oath can't even compete in this metagame, then like something's a little wrong. I mean, I, Oath is usually the shop's killer, not yeah. <laughs> not the other way with like you know some blue deck, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've thought of ways to really fix the format. And, you know, I, I wrote a little thing for my, like, at least at, right after the, the previous banner-restricted um, announcement, I was, I was not exactly the happiest camper. But um, I wrote, like, in draft form, a letter that I wanted to you know, submit. But I eventually just said, you know what, just going to, play a little bit more modern experience magic from a different perspective and, you know, see what's going to go on for like in, in the new, ex, in the next printings and, um, you know, take, put vintage down for a second and maybe try to innovate if I can, and then freshen up things when I come back to vintage. Yeah. I, th- I feel like vintage and legacy are and heading to this part, this point where the, what's, what's the efficiency that's been discovered and sort of unlocked is going to be really hard to break. Like once you realize just how efficient certain, you know, collections of cards are, you really just have to build everything around that shell. Um, you know, you mentioned Oath, but like really the big blue decks all in general that don't have Oath even are not really around. It's really just these these sort of Xeroxy decks. Paradoxical is almost like the ultimate Xerox deck. Um, you know, you're not seeing Mana Drain played at a high at a you know a ton or anything like that. Um, and with with when they, when they they can restrict things, but then you still kind of get them. You just kind of have this critical mush of uh, of blue cards that 
or cards in general that like it just keeps growing and you might as well just have like you know a couple things legal as four ofs and some band you know like legacy so yeah it's it's actually a real bummer to see that like shops uh, shops that uh Oath was sort of on the downturn because I thought that they got a really great tool in the form of mission briefing uh, as like another card that they could put in their deck that was like had that snapcaster effect but didn't screw up their plan. And because no one's been playing it, no one's really been able to to like innovate on that card at all, which is sort of a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't count it out just yet. I think that, you know, you have brilliant minds like Brian Kelly that are working on it. Um, and I'm sure Greg Fenton is, yeah. has some kind of oath built right now and sleeved up and he will win with it. Cause that's his deck. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been but, playing against uh, Brian online. He's playing Grix's control all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's off of it completely, huh? <laughs> at least since 1118, looking at goldfish, his last few finishes, I'll Let's, say this in in regards to you playing playing modern to get out of the the pie, uh, to deal dealing with uh vintage. Greg's Greg's been on uh pre modern lately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exploring other formats and yeah. uh, pre modern is you know getting a little bit more traction. Yeah, I mean and that's I, the healthy part of of the game. I think is like being able to being able to say I'm not happy with this. I'm going to take a break. And you either take a break from the game, or you take a break, move to another format, let that freshen up things for you, and then when you go back, everything seems fresh again. Yeah. Right. Brian Kelly, that you mentioned him, said something about, like, he doesn't really like Hollow One, which I thought was funny, because I last time I played him, I was playing that that survival deck, and I just got destroyed. <laughs> like, he just killed me. <laughs> like, uh, it was just funny how much he, uh, he doesn't like Hollow One. I never thought of that as a as a problem but maybe recently i haven't played vintage in about a month or so so you know maybe it is getting there's maybe those are resurfacing online or you're just getting stuck playing against dredge and you think you have a plan and then they make 12 on turn one <laughs> so but you know it'll be interesting to see what happens i think um oh wow hollow one's in the main deck of these dredge decks now i did not know that um yeah i don't know i i i think uh it's cool to see you know vintage played it all so Hopefully, uh, hopefully there will be something that breaks out and really sort of shakes up the format a little bit. You know, sort of how I feel about Legacy too. Just every time there's a uh, ban restricted update or a new set coming out, you're just hoping for something to really just take the take the format by storm in a good way and not in like a you know sort of horrible way like Treasure Cruise, you know, where it just takes it all in one direction. Yeah, for sure. Um, before before we end up going though, I did want to talk a little bit about like you know the L the LIC uh, legacy slash vintage community that we have and how you've sort of been a champion of, of that whole thing since since it started pretty much since Twenty Sided Store stopped doing things. You've been really really uh, solid in in uh, bringing the community together to uh, to get practice sessions in. You know, looking up rides for big events in the local area and stuff like that, and and that's been like a really cool boon to have to have in the area. Is like some some sort of community management um, to me is is huge. Well, um, it definitely takes you know a lot of people, a lot of good um, and passionate Magic players to you know put that all together. And I, I credit the the people that want to put up with me. I mean, <laughs> playing against me and. Uh, you know, dealing with me, uh, setting up logistics for them. I, I, I usually just, I'm a project manager at work. So, I mean, this stuff will come naturally to me. And I mean, I don't mind being an organizer. It was what I was doing for tennis in Brooklyn for, uh, five years running a ladder there for the community. So, I mean, it being in that position of organizer, it also, I mean, I have the added benefit of also being able to, you know, um, reach out to a lot of different players that I, I mean, I'm interested in like connecting with and also testing my, my magic skills against them. See like, you know how that does. But at the same time, uh, when we are at these testing sessions, uh, we're, we're basically just, you know, drinking a beer or something and grabbing some food while just jamming eternal, uh, eternal formats or even, you know, having a draft. So uh, I, I lucked out in Long Island City. I had a building that had this rather large unused lounge downstairs. And I you know, thought it was perfect that I could probably just invite a bunch of people over. But 
um, now that I'm not living at that same building, uh, we, we do have a lot more, you know, a few other organizers inside of the group that are, you know, all about the community as well, who want to organize, you know, after work type of activities, like let's say in their office space where there's inside of their cafeteria, they have, you know, extra room and all we have to do is get them through security. And I'm um, sure enough, we could probably do a small tournament, but um, you know, everything is revolving around having some fun safely and, you know, no one's really, you know, um, getting their feelings hurt if they do lose. They're just, they're there for, they're for really high level competitions, but, you know, we can at least lap off the, the tough losses that we do take in testing. And also, and if we're doing in the tournament, um, you know, these are the same faces that you'll see. And it's good to, you know, have that kind of network of support going from like, you know, region to region and, I mean, I, I definitely always appreciate being able to just be comfortably, you know, with my friends um, at, at these tournaments because, you know, I don't want to ever really go to these tournaments alone. And, um, I mean, I've, I've surely driven myself, I think it was early on in 2012, 2013, when I came back to the game, didn't really know a lot of the uh, existing community since I had taken six years off. And this was a perfect way for me to just start to, you know, get up to like about 60 or 70 guys that um, now we're at that point. But I mean, I really wanted to, you know, reach out and um, start organizing stuff and, you know, making it a little easier for us to all stay connected. Yeah. yeah. It's super I mean, appreciated it's, for sure. <laughs> right. And I think that, you know, you, you, especially with the eternal, the eternal formats and who's playing them. I mean, we, we all want to look out. We all, we all kind of want the same thing, right? We want people to be able to play this game that we all love and, and get together. You know, we recently, you know, we worked on this community letter to talk about the uh, the Grand Prix on Easter um, mm-hmm. and how that's going to be really tough for a lot of players. And we hope they, you know, will make some considerations for uh, for us. And, you know, it, it's it, – and then, you know, even then, like, uh, there, I've been, I'm, I'm out in the midst of moving to Texas. And I made some friends down there. Mostly for the re- same reason that uh, you know, it, because they've done the same thing that you have. They've been organized, and you know, there's someone who's willing to, to step up and say, "Hey, let's all meet at this point. We're all going to play some Eternal Magic." Um, hold on, yeah. my daughter's running in here. But yeah, I think that it. I think that it really. Um, just a second, dear. Um, I just, I think that it really, you know, people do have to step up, and you know, you're the, you're taking that role on, and it's and it's something that's not always easy to do because you're dealing with a lot of people's uh, schedules and idiosyncrasies. But, um, you know, in the end, I think everyone appreciates having those community leaders in Eternal that are, that are stepping up. Yeah, I'd, I'd venture to say that we wouldn't have this podcast without that sort of thing. I mean, that's where uh, I posted about doing this, and then Nate jumped on and was like, I'm in. You know, yeah. like, that's, you know, we, we, we basically forged a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that we rely on today in the community off of that stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, um, I did actually uh, read through read through the letter that you guys uh, wrote to to Watsi, and I thought that it was pretty well thought out. And um, I think that family is extremely important. And the the older that we get, I mean, especially for that next generation, I mean, something as maybe mundane for some people as you know Easter is. I mean, it's still like one of these holidays that we get to spend with our families, and we don't really want to that have to dedicate it, uh, dedicate it to magic of all things. I mean, it's, we, we've spent enough time playing the game, but we also, yeah. you know, want to have that convenience of playing it when we want to and yeah. a better schedule on it <laughs> can really, really help a lot. And even the location, the timing of it, it just, it does come down to, you know, better planning and maybe, you know, they can be a little more thoughtful of that, uh, the next time around. Right. You know, even though I just shoot her out of here, I do, you know, it's one of those, it's a very interesting situation for me personally. And I, you know, that's why I started thinking about it and then did hear from other people, you know, who, you know, other, other players who are parents, especially that, you know, it's a, you don't want to have to make that choice because on the one hand, like I'm disappointed that I'm going to miss out on seeing a lot of my friends from all over the place, people who listen to the podcast and reach out to us. I mean, I love meeting people when I can. 
And I love Niagara Falls and Buffalo. I, I went to school there. I grew up in the area. And I, and I you know, it's, it's not I, – I, I would love to go play there. But I just have this vision of it being Sunday morning. And, like, either I didn't make day two or I did and I'm, like, super, you know, focused or I'm trying to sign up for a side event. And then my family's FaceTiming me and my kids are excited about whatever's in their Easter basket, you know. And I just I, – I feel like I can't make the decision – well, you know, they're only young ones, right? They've got years to be cynical, you know, um, and, and old like me. You know, I want—I don't want to miss that, out, miss out on that. Um, you know, you know, one of these few times that I get, and I wish we didn't have to make that choice. I, I don't think there are going to be parents who, ha- who do make that choice, and I think that's fine. Um, you know, your kids could be at different points in their lives. Mine are seven and three, so they're in sort of like prime you know, fun on Easter age, right? <laughs> like they're doing, they're doing egg hunts and having fun. And that's, you know, this is not to go out this. It's not, it's all just about like, let's, let's make sure that in the future, people who want to play this game and who are making sacrifices and taking time off of work, paying for plane tickets and hotels and Ubers and all this stuff can do it. And, and don't hold it against the, the legacy community when you put it on a holiday and people don't come. It's, it's just too bad. That, that we have to make that decision at all. So, um, you know, I really, uh, I don't know. I think you're, I think you're planning to go. I think you, I don't know if Zach is right. I, I don't know if you are Roland. I thought yeah, I, saw you uh, <laughs> I was, you know, Mr. Type A coming out of me already. Like I basically booked it. And um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely fortunate in that regard that I, I can, I have the means to do so, but I could see it like, you know, if, if people are, We'll be driving there. There's a lot more planning involved that, um, and just logistics of it can be a little hectic. Plus, you know, throwing the possibility of it affecting, you know, family time. Um, I don't have kids, so um, I don't. Um, would you like have that you like responsibility? to think about that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, um, uh, but yeah, no, I know, and I, that's the thing. Like, it's you know, if you go, I hope you have a great time, and I, I, I. I you know, who knows? I might end up. I might end up just pulling the shoot and going, or bringing my kids with me and letting them hang out with my brother, and letting them have Uncle Easter. But you know, I, I still, I, I just, I, it's, it's such a, it's such a hard position to be because I, clearly I love doing this. You know, I do this podcast every week, but I just, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, I, I don't feel like I can be in that position and feel comfortable so i mean you talk yeah. occasionally about uh about uh wife equity but there is there's such thing as family equity as well you know and that's that's it comes down to that sort of stuff yeah i mean you gotta you gotta everything's a balance and you know the thing is you know even if this was a if this was a standard or limited magic fest on these dates you're gonna you're talking about kids who are in the other are in the other side of this right where their parents might be like no there's no way you're going to this right and mm-hmm. You know, as a parent, you have to be able to teach your kids how to set priorities. And, you know, that's that's just <laughs> sometimes you got to prioritize other stuff. And, and um, I just think that we we are willing the community members are sacrificing a lot to to make these events great for Wizards and for CFE events. Uh, they're expensive to get in. It's a big investment uh, of time leading up. And, you know, just not having them on, on uh, you know, one of what, like four or five weekends out of the year that you really just can't do it, you know, is, is not that much to ask. But I don't, I don't want to get a soapbox anymore. I, I've been talking about it a lot this week, but I really hope I, – what I, what I really just want to communicate is that I hope that everyone who does go has a great time. Um, and if you see me there, you can call me a, a chump to my face. Um, but like, you know, I hope everyone that does, does go have a great time. Don't let, if you, if you really feel like you can make it, don't let me talk you out of it because you should all want to go because yeah. we all love this game. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Roland, thank you again for, uh, for coming on with us and you know, we got to have you on again sometime soon. Yeah, definitely appreciate the opportunity to do so. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, I can take down another tournament so that you guys can have me back on again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll have that's that's when there's a vintage tournament coming up or something. We should have you and Virgo on to talk about vintage. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. Um, and <laughs> so to to finish off the the cast, I want to thank every all of our uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, we're we're getting very close to that next uh, next tier. So uh, we're trying to figure out what to do for the the next tier of our Patreon. 
Um, uh, we got a couple of t-shirts that we need to send out to folks. Uh, that's, that's coming up as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much everybody for listening. And, uh, and, uh, I guess we'll see you next week. to get those wonderful toys. Eternal Dirtles is supported by Audible.com. If you'd like a free audiobook and start up a trial with Audible, you can go to audibletrials.com slash eternaldirtles and they'll hook you up with a free book and you'll be supporting the show. Thanks so much. <laughs>